the one time. Now we finally have somebody sit in the front. I was just saying on Sunday morning, we had every single seat in here full, and not one person sat in the front row. And so now it's quite the opposite. I won't say it's as bad as uh, the COVID days, but those were good times too. And just like then, most of the people are online, so I, I bet we'll have a record-breaking online tonight. Well, we're glad wherever you're at that we hope that you're safe. Hopefully you have power. Hopefully you're in a place that you can relax for a little bit, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 17, and we can have a real bright, uplifting message that encourages all of us. Oh, wait, we're in the book of Judges. So no, that's not happening tonight. In fact, this one's pretty bad. And we're going to see in Judges chapter 17 and in Judges chapter 18, it's one message about a man named Micah, not to be confused with the prophet Micah. This is a different guy. And this is a time when every man does what is right in their own eyes. And so we're going to see how far removed the nation of Israel is from the organic and God-led worship that we saw in the desert when the Lord brought the Ten Commandments and taught them how to worship and how to make the tabernacle and how to have the priests and the duties and personally led them through the desert, brought them into the promised land, and now it's been generations removed, and we're going to see how far it has come, and it is all downhill. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to start in our first section this evening in verses 1 through 4. Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct us, that even when we learn what not to do, we learn, Lord, your influence in our lives, how we think, how we do things, things that show us, Lord, from your scripture where we're not doing them right. And we hope that your word continues to do what it promises to do, which is to cut to the bone, to the marrow, Lord, to reveal the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, Lord, whether they're of ourselves or whether they're of you. We pray that you would do that this evening as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the first four verses together. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I have wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image, a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. And you're like, what? What is going on here? Yeah, it's exactly as bad as it sounds. First of all, he robs his mom of pretty much a life savings because we're going to see later on that there's a Levite who's going to be given a certain wage, and that wage of 10 shekels of silver per year is a laborer's yearly wage. And so for this guy to have taken 1,100 shekels of silver, that's more than 10 years worth of money. And he's, he robbed her. And so he has it, and then he's going to bring it back to her and say, oh, you know, I took this from you. I want to give it back to you. 
And then she says, oh, great job, son. Fantastic. This is awesome. Now I want to dedicate this money to God because it came back. Do they bring it down to the tabernacle? Do they bring it down to the priest? Do they bring it down to authentic worship? Do they come to God the way that God had ordained through the different types of sacrifices? No. No, no, that's too difficult. They want to do it their own way. And their own way is to take this 1,100 shekels of silver and to make molten images, which is the exact opposite of everything that God commands. And it's interesting if you study archaeology because the archaeology at this time, they have found these different types of images of different types of gods in that entire region. This is how local worship was done in those days. And it was different cultures, different people groups, and different deities, different gods. And so they're also much smaller than you might think. Many of them are four by four inches, maybe six by four inches, pretty small, almost figurines. And they could be solid uh, bronze, or they could be carved images, which we see a lot of in scripture. And sometimes they'd be carved and then coated in a precious metal like silver, gold, or bronze. And, and what they would do is, is they would take these images and they would put them in a high place, an important part of the house, and then they would worship them. They would talk to them like they're their God. They would give them offerings. They would lay food um, at them. They would sing to them. They would talk to them, all, all kinds of weird things. But that's what everybody else does. And so what they want to do is they want to worship Yahweh, God, Jehovah, the true and the living God, but they want to do it the way that everybody else does. And they compromise, which is the exact opposite, as we said, of what God wants. But what is the lesson there for us? Is that many people come to God and they think of their relationship with God as a spiritual buffet. If you remember before COVID when we used to have buffets around, you would go into that restaurant And you'd get your big old tray, and they'd have all the food out, and you'd have your salad bar and your entree, and then you'd have your dessert bar. If you were smart like me, you start at the dessert bar, and you work your way back. But you would pick and choose whatever you wanted. Whatever your fancy was, that's what you would have. And the majority of people today, that's their spirituality. They want to pick and choose. They want to do certain things in their relationship with God. They want to do what makes them feel good. If they don't like it, they just don't put it on their plate. They don't want to involve it. And then they also want to take from different areas. Oh, I kind of like this. Like a little Eastern mysticism. Oh, I like a little Islam. Oh, I like a little a bit of this uh, psychology over here. Oh, I like this thing that God does over here. I'm going to take this. Or I'm going to take this book that has nothing to do with actual scripture, but it sounds spiritual, and I'm going to take that. And you begin to build your own religion. And you begin to build your own, what we would call a fancy way of saying it, oh, this is my personal faith. This is what I think. I I think this. Well, let's go back to our text here. Is God going to be honored by this man spending all this money, which he stole, melting it down and turning it into a carved image and worshiping it and calling it God? Absolutely not. So what does that teach us? That even though our society may tell us, hey, what works for you is good for you, and what works for me is good for me, and we're going to pick and choose whatever we want, if God is God, and if, and if He is who He says He is, which He is, 
then it is His way. Well, I don't, lay the, I don't like the way that God does this, or I don't like this part about the Bible. This doesn't matter because you are not God. There are only two entities. There is the Creator, and then there is the creation. And we are a part of the creation. We are not the Creator. We can make nothing out of nothing, but God can. So that means He makes the rules. He decides what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is not good, what is pure, what is defiled. He decides, and he does all things well. This is important for us because it's fundamental, and it's also going to reveal to us here in this portion of Scripture, especially in chapter 17 and then going into chapter 18, that we can make stuff up, and we can feel like we're doing okay. We can feel like we're doing good. Or we can feel like God is pleased with us, and He's not. Or we can feel like He's angry with us, and He's not. You can't trust your own perception of things. And then we'll talk a little bit later about how, well, how can you? How will you know those things? How can you circumvent those things? Uh, before I continue, I just want to say that when I have these conversations with people in private in their counseling, They'll push back on this because they'll want to say that their background or their experiences or something that really worked well for them or something that's really working good for them is good and they want to continue to do that. But I could give you a couple of practical and then spiritual examples of why that's not the case. Um, I'll use my all-time favorite. I like sweet things, so I like chocolate cake. I can eat chocolate cake all the time. But it's not good for me. It's not good for my health. It is not making me feel good. But I can tell myself that the chocolate cake is good. I can even get diet chocolate cake or sugar-free chocolate cake or gluten-free chocolate cake. I can get imitation chocolate cake. I can get keto chocolate cake. I can tell you right now, none of those things are good for me. But I can kid myself to having some kind of off-brand diet chocolate cake like, oh, well, this is better for me, therefore it is good. It's just fake. It's not real. And the authentic thing is not good either. But I'm making different perceptions in my mind on whether I think it's good or not. Let's take something a little more volatile. Smoking. Smoking feels fantastic. You feel great. I mean, for those few minutes, that sensation feels awesome. And it doesn't kill you. You're supposed to say, what do you mean? Of course it kills you. Well, that one doesn't kill you, though. And the second one doesn't kill you. And the third one usually doesn't kill you. I mean, how many? What's the number? Well, so it is true with many people's spirituality. They're doing things that are actually harming them, but it feels good in the moment and nothing happens, so they just continue to do it. Let me bring this back to its context. When they make this carved image and they put it in their house and they put it up there on the wall, does God smite them? Does lightning come down and destroy the house? Does God immediately put a stop to them and the the ground opens up and they fall into it? No, nothing happens, nothing. But it's not good. It's fake. It's not real. And they may feel the sensation of being spiritual, but it's not real. Well, for us, what is real and what is not? We're going to talk about that, but don't wait, or excuse me, wait, it gets worse. You thought that they did it bad enough. No, they're just starting. Verses 5 through 8. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. 
And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And we're going to stop there for a little bit. And you're, th- you're thinking to yourself, what, what is going on here? So he has a shrine in his house, a special spiritual place. He's got the idol in there, but it's not good enough. It's not spiritual enough. He knows it's not real, or he knows it's not close enough. So now he's going to try and get a little bit closer. And you're going to see, as we continue down this path, he's going to try and make it more and more like the real thing, but it's always going to be a fake counterfeit of the real thing. It is always going to be false. Uh, We know from the New Testament, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. What we're ultimately talking about is submission to God's will. Are we trying to submit God to our will to make Him fit our box or to fit into the world we want Him to fit into? Or are we submitting to Him? Are we yielding to His will? Are we understanding our place as the creation under the Creator? And what, if we want to boil this down to its common denominator, the, the base root of this, Do we want a counterfeit spirituality in our personal life or do we want a real relationship with the real God? Do we truly want to be connected with the Creator? Because you can invent all kinds of counterfeit religion and spirituality and do all kinds of weird stuff, but it leads to nowhere and it does nothing. I have some questions to go along this, but I want to go through the text here first. What do we see here? He makes his own son a priest. That breaks so many rules. Not of the right tribe. Not from the right place. Not from the right consecration. Not only do they do that, then they're going to make an ephod. So they're trying to make him look like the real priest. Mind you, he can just get on his cart and go down to the tabernacle at Shiloh, because we know that's where it's at at this time, and he can just go do the real thing. And he can see the real priest, and he can go to uh, the real courts, and he can have the real offerings. But what is he trying to do here? He wants to keep it in his house. He wants it to revolve around him. And it's not about coming and submitting to God. But that's not good enough. Even though the scripture is clear here, hey, everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes, like right now, here in America, But now there's a young guy who is an actual Levite. He's walking by. He left Bethlehem on his way to Judah, couldn't find a place to sleep at night, and here he is, and he finds Micah. Well, I want to ask some of those questions. What religious rituals do we have in our lives that are adding to Scripture, but they're not real? You know, what kind of quote-unquote spiritual things are we trying to add spiritual laws that we're trying to add that are not scriptural. Um, This could be as simple as how do we pray? You know, are we adding special lingo? Are we adding things that are not real in how we pray? Are we adding kind of fake uh, ritual or form to it? 
Or are we adding a, a flair to our conversation that's not our prayers that aren't real? Are we repeating the same prayers over and over again without mindfulness? You know, we're just adding ritual to it. If you pray before you eat, that's great. You know, the Lord broke bread. He always prayed before he ate. But are you really praying? Are you really having a relationship with God there? What, or is it just a mindless ritual that you do? When you're praying for a brother or sister, you're praying for them to be healed or you're praying for them to do well, are you praying? Are you like having a conversation with God? Or are you just doing a religious ritual? What do I mean by that? Oh, so-and-so comes up and asks you for prayer. Oh, you know, brother so-and-so, I pray that you would get healed. I pray that God works everything out. And then they walk away and you're like, oh, that's something, nothing's going to happen, but at least I know I care about them. I'm sorry, you didn't understand that you were having a triune relationship there and you were involving God into the conversation and he's going to do whatever he pleases? See, these are the kinds of things that we need to, as Christians, have some self-reflection and some reflection with the Lord and say, hey, what am I doing that is not real? Am I making ephods in my life? Am I making idols? Am I thinking that I'm having a certain relationship with God when I really don't? What interpretations then of Scripture do we have that are wrong? Thinking something about God or a way that He thinks about us, and then we find out a little bit later that we were wrong the whole time. And are you willing to yield to proper doctrine? Are you willing to be corrected? This is far more difficult for people that have grown up in one denomination their whole life because you were just taught a certain way and you just assume that it's correct. But what if they're wrong? You know, if you're a young person here, a.k.a. my son or the other son, like how do you, how do you know that what I'm saying is right or that our doctrines are right or that the, what you're teaching you at the school is right? There are plenty of kids being raised up in other religious schools that are being taught wrong. So we need to have our own proper interpretations of the Scripture, and we need to be corrected by God and His Word. So we have to know what those foundations of truth are. They're not going to the Word here. They're not checking it out. They're just doing, what does it say here? Whatever is right in their own eyes. And then just to keep it going further, what ideas about God do we have that are wrong? You know, we just assume that we know God. But if I were to interview every person here, what is God is like? I would hope that we have very similar answers, but there will be nuances and variants. Now, if we go out into the street and ask them what God is like, we're going to have some wildly different interpretations of who God is. So are, I, are our ideas about God correct? Remember, I said earlier in the sermon, so important, if He is who He says He is, which He is, then He tells us who He is, not the other way around. He reveals Himself to us. And then if we go even further, because God is all-knowing, all-powerful, He reveals to us who we are. So we get, we get the relationship backwards. He shows us who He has created us to be. All right, and now let's, let's do a couple of other th- uh, questions. What attributes are we associating with God that are false? What does that mean? Some people in here think that He is meaner than He is. Some people here think that he's more unloving than he is. Some of you think he's more gracious than he is. Or that he has a certain, you're you're giving false attributes about who you think God is. Just like the man Micah is here in the text. He's doing the same thing. He's thinking that God's okay with this. He must. He must think that this honors God. He's honoring him in his own way. He's not pleased with this. 
How do we know that? We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then finally, what are we adding to our relationship with God that he doesn't want? You know, what are we adding to it? What kind of pressure are you adding to yourself? You know, we have, we're really blessed here in this fellowship. There's a lot of servants per the amount of people that come to this church. But it's very important for us that we're serving from a sense of liberty and from grace and not by obligation. When you get to a place where you're in the worship ministry or you're in the soundboard or you're on the online ministry or you're a greeter or you're in the youth ministry or you're a teacher or you're a Bible student or a Bible teacher leader and you feel like you have to show up or else the thing's not going to operate, then it's time for you to step down. Just, you just, we want to operate from a spirit of liberty and grace, not from obligation and ritual. And we don't want to add that to our relationship with God. Don't put that burden on Him. Now, if you have a deep calling and a desire and a need, like you feel like you can't not do it, that's different. That's different, but we need to be clear here. When we want to look at Micah, we are going to learn a lot of things about what not to do. But what did I say earlier in our first section? We want to have a real, authentic relationship with God. We don't want to have a counterfeit relationship. We don't want to have a counterfeit uh, religious or spiritual experience. And we definitely don't want to worship a God that doesn't exist. That's, that's a big, big waste. We want the real thing versus the counterfeit. We cannot be like the people of the judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. We cannot. Well, finally, let's read verses 9 through 13. We've got to learn more about this Levite guy. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Wrong. Now, as I'm reading this, I don't know if you guys think like I do. I'm like, what happened to his other son that was a priest? So now his son that's a priest, he gets kicked out. Like, oh, sorry, son, you're not a Levite. I got a Levite now. I'm going to upgrade the priest. And so the Levite shows up, and he's like, hey, you're a real Levite, right? You're the real deal. Oh, yeah, I'm a Levite. I need you to be the priest of my home. I'm going to give you 10 shekels of silver per year. That's a laborer's salary. On top of that, I'm going to give you room and board. So this guy's going to have a good payment. He's got a good paying job now. He doesn't say, I don't meet the qualifications. He doesn't say, I'm not of the right family of the Levites. Because remember, when we were in the book of Leviticus, there are several uh, families within the Levitical tribe, and each one of them has a has a particular role, and it's only the sons of Aaron that can be priests. <coughs> this guy doesn't care about any of those things. So why does he want to do this? So he can get fed and he can get paid. He's like, oh, sweet, I got a new job. I'll do this. Small congregation, small group, make up my own rules. 
And, and so he goes for it. Notice that this false spirituality is contagious and it starts to spread. And you can see it with every kind of cult and ism there is on the planet. I just recently watched a documentary a few months ago about um, Waco, Texas and that cult, terrifying. And then I ended up watching another documentary because I'm a weird guy like that. I remember out in California when the Haley's Comet came and then they had that mass suicide out there. I remember being a kid and hearing that on the news. And so I watched the, I watched the uh, documentary about that and what they did to each other. And how many people did they hook into this nonsense? It's so scary. But we can do the same thing with our stuff, with our religiosity, with our false spirituality. Now they've hooked up this Levite. So not only has Micah led his own family in error, He's now led this Levite into error. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for Judges chapter 18. They're going to lead even more people into this nonsense. We need to quote John Corson here on this one. He has it right, and I'm sure he stole it from somebody else. If it is true, it is not new. And if it is new, it is not true. You know, God hasn't waited all the way to the 21st century to suddenly say, oh, man, I, for, I messed up. I didn't tell you guys right. Now I'm going to reveal you how it really works out. No. No. Now, what, what else do I want to point out here? Micah is again trying to legitimize his falsehood more and more and more. Remember, he started off by making a false idol from silver that he stole. That's how it started. And then he had a shrine, and then he made an ephod, and then he had his son be a priest, and now he has a Levite, and he's like, sweet. What's the very last uh, verse here, verse 13? He says, now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Now I've got it. I've got the final piece of the puzzle. Well, this is religion 101. This is the summary of religion. For man to constantly make up nonsense to try and draw closer to God. And we are not called to religion. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we are called to have a personal relationship with Christ. That in my moment that I was an enemy with God, I hated Him, I was the worst I possibly could be, if I call out to him, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, and you shall be saved. You are 100% righteous. There's not a second. There's nothing else you need to do to earn salvation. You, you don't suddenly like get to a point where, okay, now God is happy with me. No, we love him because he first loved us. And that's the message of the gospel. Other than that, we're just messing this up, folks. We're just making it worse. We need to be able to sit peaceably, with the Lord and realize that He has done all the work. We don't legitimize our faith. Our faith is legitimized, made real, made whole on the cross of Christ. He did the work and He said it is finished and He gives it to us. The gift of grace is free. We always repeat it, not cheap, but free. How about Micah? False, 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 false. Fake, counterfeit, fraud, not real, not working. And here he is thinking, 
now I know that the Lord will be good to me. There, there, you couldn't make a more false statement than what he is saying. But he thinks it's true. It's really hard for me when I'm counseling with someone or they're asking me for my advice and I'm telling them from the scriptures, from the authority of God's word, no, this is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, you shouldn't go down this way, you should go in a different direction. And they say, well, the Lord is leading me to do X, Y, and Z. And you could just fill in the most weird nonsense ever after the Lord is leading me to blank. And I can say, no, he's not leading you to do that. That's wrong. Not only is it, gonna, not only is it wrong in your relationship with God, it's wrong for you, it's going to destroy you, and it's going to destroy your family and everything around you. But they're still going to do it anyway? And then on top of that, they're going to say that God is pleased with them for doing it. Don't be one of those people. And that's the, the beauty of God's Word. I, I said, how are we going to know these things? Jesus said He is the truth. He is the light. And we know that He is the very Word of God. And so as He is revealing Himself, the Scripture is complete from Genesis to Revelation, and all of the authority of God is in these pages. And this is how we can have this rock, this foundation that we can build on, and we can test ourselves, and we can be, as Paul said, to be a Berean and check out what is, if what I'm saying is correct. Is our doctrines correct? Is what we think about God correct? It all comes from the authority of God's Word. And if you start thinking about it from a theological and philosophical viewpoint, the fact that God wrote a book about it is perfect. You see, if He just appointed men, it would be more hearsay. Not only that, if you only have men, prophets, let's say, only prophets, then the people that hear that revelation of those prophets, they're the closest to the source. And then the further removed from that, the evidence begins to fade. What if it was through divine revelation? He wrote it in the sky, for example, or he revealed, he opened the heavens and he said, Pickaboo, here I am, I'm God, and then he closed it back up. Outside of that experience, you're not going to get the same experience. Now, we know in Hebrews chapter 1 that he spoke through prophets, he spoke through the signs, but now he speaks through his son, through the word of God. Why do I say that the Bible is perfect? Because you have the Bible and I have the Bible. We can share the Bible. We can translate the Bible. And you have the exact same revelation as everyone else. On top of that, you can go as deep or as shallow as you want as you seek Him out. It's equal. You know, I have three kids. I cannot give all three of my kids the same attention all the time. I have to balance it out. And then I got my wife, and then I got my phone ringing off all the time, and then I got friends that actually want to talk to me once in a while. That's kind of shocking. And I can't give everyone the same amount of attention. But the fact that God used His Word, and He has this book, He can give all of us the same revelation, the same amount of attention, and you can dig into it as much as possible. Now, my illustration does have holes. What do you mean, Mike? How does that have holes? No, not the authority of God's Word, but Jesus said that we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so the Holy Spirit is moving in us as well and giving us revelation. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit as we commune with God and as we pray. But look how perfect this revelation is that He uses the Word of God the way that He does. 
And then when you have a non-believer who reads the Bible, if you're like me, and I remember when I was a non-believer and I opened the Bible up and I thought it was just like a book of witchcraft or like strange, it might as well have been written in Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. I didn't make any sense. Until what? Until I had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and I got saved. I had a personal relationship with God and then He began to reveal it to me. Man, the, the Lord is perfect. So why are we looking to ourselves? We don't want to be like Micah. We don't want to be looking to our own interpretations, being led by our own feelings, being, the Bible says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We don't want to be unstable in all our ways. We want to be firmly engrafted in the Word of God so that we know what is counterfeit and what is real, and then we can share that with others as we go through the storm. Because we're going to see in chapter 18... Tough times are coming, and it's going to get difficult. Well, we're going to change things up a little bit because I don't want anyone driving in home in the dark that doesn't want to. So we're not going to have our prayer time after this evening. Um, we're just going to break and get everything wrapped up so we can all head home. There may or may not be a prayer meeting tomorrow depending on traffic and depending on the weather and the roads and everything. We'll get with Reggie, text him on the app. All these updates, I updated everybody I use the app, the Bible app. So let's close in prayer, and we'll close out this study. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray you would continue to teach us and direct us. We pray for your grace on our community with this storm, on those that are deeply affected by it, maybe have lost their livelihoods or even their lives, Lord. We pray for their families. We pray for your healing, and we pray that we would be able to bring this real relationship we speak about tonight, Lord, to those that are hurting and lost out there. We pray for those that are watching online, Lord. We pray that they're encouraged as they go through their work day, and we pray that you keep them safe as well. And so we lift these prayers up to you and pray you answer them according to your will and purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. But if you need prayer, come on up. We'll love, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.